Hello, everyone. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 1 of the Sheep Things Podcast. Today, we talk a little bit about how this podcast came to be and share about us and our operations. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, Robert, why don't you start us off by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got started with sheep, uh, what got you interested in the sheep industry, and just kind of a little bit about yourself. Well, mostly I got into sheep because I have a love for lamb chops. Uh, <laughs> probably 20 years ago, started eating lamb uh, out and about, um, and, and and probably late 2000s eight or nine, somewhere along there. Uh, I was at a customer conference and we took some customers out to eat in Chicago, this real mm-hmm. fancy high end restaurant and everybody's eating hundred dollar steaks. And I got a, I got a $80 lamb chop and, uh, <laughs> and they, they're telling me how weird I am. And I'm like, man, I really like lamb, you know, on yeah. the way home, I'm, I'm telling my wife, Hey, you know, we got cows, horses, we got land. Um, I think we should grab a couple of sheep, you know, and raise our own lamb chops. And, mm-hmm. uh, and she goes, you remember those Angora goats we used to have 20 years ago? And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, so it scared her, scared me, you know, because I had to shear those goats. And yeah. uh, they, they got stuck in the – we had barbed wire at the time. And, and you know, every, every day you'd leave and there'd be a goat stuck in barbed wire, you know. So you had to cut the thing out. And so, uh, so that kind of, you know, delayed my sheep interest a little bit. And then I had a friend of mine who I knew raised, he was probably in his mid seventies at the time. And I, I knew he raised sheep as a kid. So, so mm-hmm. I kind of talked to him one afternoon, you know, Hey, did you raise, I know you had sheep when you were a kid. Is it, is it that aggravating, you know, sharing these things? I just want a couple, you know? And he goes, Oh no, it's not bad at all. I'm, I'm thinking about getting some too, you know? Uh, he just bought a farm, you know, a little 20 acre farm, uh, and was thinking, you know, what can I put on there? And yeah. uh, we just kind of talked back and forth for a month or two about it, fantasizing about sheep, how we're going to get rich, you know. And um, <laughs> and then one day the he he called me and said, "Hey, there's a there's a sheep out there that doesn't have uh, wool on it. It's a hair sheep, and they're having a convention in Kuvel. We should go." And I'm like, "Oh man, yeah, that sounds great." And uh, so we, we get down there and it's, it's a Dorper. It's the Dorper Association is having their first um, meeting, I guess. They, they do it every year now in Cookville, which is 20 miles from me. So, uh, so we went to visit and, man, sure enough, man, these things are, you know, slick. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm ready. You know, this is the ticket right here. Uh, so I spent probably two years, you know, looking this over and kind of researching it. And, and uh, decided to go with a Katahdin. Uh-huh. Um, once I, everybody started telling me all the good things that, you know, I, I wasn't interested in register sheep. I just want, you know, sheep. And, and everybody kept saying, uh, you should get Katahdin used because they're cheaper. They're better mamas. They're better milkers. They have more babies. They don't have foot problems. I'm like, golly, why, why wouldn't I want all Katahdins, you know? <laughs> and I never heard of a Katahdin. So, uh, so then I got to backing off thinking Dorper and, and uh, went and visited a couple of people with Katahdins. And, man, I sold, you know. 
And uh, so that, that got me into the sheep business. And uh, from there, I started meeting people and calling people. And I guess my first uh, power ram or power sheep, you know, because I, I didn't know who anybody was. So I just found yeah. I just found some sheep that I liked. And I visited probably four or five farms before I bought any. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and then I got the magazine, you know, I joined the association. Yeah, got a magazine, and and uh, I ended up talking to Mark Dennis of all people, and uh, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. So don't ever call Mark Dennis if you would if you don't want to be active in the sheep industry because he'll make sure you're very <laughs> active in the sheep industry. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. So how many sheep did you start with, and and uh, I started with what four. was kind of your? I started with four. Uh, uh-huh. That's all my wife would let me buy. You know, yeah. if you're going to kill them, you need to kill four, not 50. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, st- I had a, probably a quarter acre lot next to my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a guard dog. You know, you got to have a, a, a Pyrenees. Um, nobody told me that the Pyrenees barked all night long. <laughs> and, uh, my lot was right next to my bedroom. So after about the third night of barking, I, called a guy to complain. I'm like, golly, this dog will not shut up. And he goes, that means there's something there. And I'm like, it's in my backyard, you know? (laughs) So that was bad planning on our part. Um, but we enjoyed it. Uh, when I got the first four, you know, they were all, uh, young ewes and hadn't been Mm -hmm. bred. They were all yearlings. And, um, and I thought, man, what if I don't, what if I don't like this? So I found another guy that had a, had a couple of ewes that were bred pregnant. So, mm-hmm. I, so I bought two pregnant ewes and, uh, and we lambed them out. It was pretty, pretty cool. The cool part about that was the first one to lamb lambed right next to my bathroom window, uh, and right up against the fence. So we could all, we all stood in the bathtub looking out the window. And, and watch this, this, uh, you give birth to her twins right there. So that was all pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that kind of got us hooked on how easy these things were. And, and after, after all those six ewes now lambed and we decided, Hey, I like this. This is pretty cool. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we had cows and, uh, uh, you know, with, with, we had Angus, we had restored Angus and, and when you're working cows, you know, we had to get the nephews, the brothers and sisters, and, you know, the whole family had to get involved and, and it took all day. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if, if, if they stepped on your toe, you're done, you know, or they could, <laughs> they could break your arm or, I mean, they, they're just so big. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, so we decided that, that the sheep was easier to, to handle. Uh, the kids could do it. I could do it. My wife could do it, you know? And, and, uh, so we, I don't know, probably within a year we sold all of our cows and, and we're in the sheep business. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. So what was your, after that first year, kind of what was your, your goal? What did you want to get, get to as far as numbers go, as far as, um, were you wanting to sell meat or you want to sell lambs, um, where you just want to eat a whole bunch of lamb yourself? What what was that that process of kind of developing your goal of transitioning from cattle to to lamb? Well, my first thought was, golly, man, look at the lamb chops. I got a lot of lamb chops, <laughs> and and I'm a I'm a foodie. I'm a big guy. I like to eat. So uh, that that was my first goal. Was yeah, this is kind of neat. 
And then the more I got to noticing that there was a market, you know, and, and, and I don't think the ethnic market will ever go away. I think it'll only get bigger. And, and then I started researching, you know, um, you know, the American market, uh, you know, we import more than we can supply. So there's always a demand for meat. Uh, yeah. I thought, golly, I got, you know, I got all this land I can do something with. So back to whenever I was looking into the Dorpers, I met a lady in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And, um, and we chatted quite a bit and, and she told me that she had, uh, 700 or 500 ewes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Holy moly, that's a lot. You know, she goes, yeah. She said, I used to have 700 and she died. She said, I decided for a 68 year old lady, that was too much for me to handle by myself. And I'm like, you can do all that by yourself. Oh yeah. So what, what her deal was, she started out with uh, border collies. Uh-huh. And she had seven or eight ewes uh, playing with her border collies. Kind of the same thing. She had a, people started wanting lamb from her. Uh, so she started selling lamb and like, hey, I like this. So she started, she started keeping all of her uh, ewes to grow her flock and selling all the ram lambs for meat uh, to pay for the bills. And uh, in like seven years, she went from, you know, eight or 10 sheep to 500 sheep. And uh, so, you know, you kind of got this doubling effect, you know, majority of them having twins. And if half of them are used, you know, you start out with 10, next year you got 20 and those 20 have 40. And then, man, they just multiply in a hurry. So I thought, man, I can do that. And uh, so I did. Uh, We went from, you know, six to 12 to 25 to 45 and, and I'm doing it all out in the pasture. Uh, I, I don't jug or any of that stuff, but my problem yeah. came when I got, when I went from 85, when those 85, uh, use lambed, I'm just, I'm throwing 85 out. I don't know the exact number, but when those suckers mm-hmm. started lambing and you, you leave home at work and you're like, Oh, look, five lambs this morning. You come home <laughs> from work. And you're like, there's 40 lambs out there, you know, and you realize right <laughs> yeah. away, Oh, this ain't going to work. <laughs> and, uh, so, so we spent a year or two culling, uh, to get back down to a manageable size and to rethink, you know, Hey, how do I manage three or 400 years, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm basically there now. Um, I'm, I'm back to that 85, 90, hundred you, uh, level, uh, mm-hmm. I did a lot of culling and I, I joined NSIP that uh, you're involved too. So I used that advantage to kind of start all over, get rid of my problems. Uh, yeah. And, and now I'm, now I'm back in the, all right, let's grow, let's grow again mode. Not hardly as fast. I don't want to double. I don't want to double every year now. <laughs> and, yep. uh, and another problem, and, and this is the reason we have a pot. I'm wanting to do a podcast about this is, you know, I don't want people to do the same thing I did. If they if they have the same goals, you know, when we first started, we, we had six sheep and, and, uh, you know, it was kind of easy to work six sheep. Well, then the next year we had 20 sheep and the next year we had four yeah. sheep. So every year we're having to change our, our working arrangement because we had more mm-hmm. sheep, more sheep. And finally yeah. at about 40 sheep, I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm tired of redoing this every year. So I started going to visit people that had hundreds of sheep and I wanted mm-hmm. to see how they flowed their sheep. You know, I, 
they thought I was yeah. there. They all thought I was coming to look at sheep to buy sheep. I wasn't there to buy <laughs> sheep. And, and if any of you guys are listening to this, sorry, <laughs> I wasn't looking to buy sheep. I wanted to see how you handled your animals. You know, it's all about flow. And, and, and I hope I took something positive or negative away from every one of my visits uh, so that I could apply it to my farm and, yeah. um, and, and how I can manage because now I'm at 40 and I'm not wanting to worry about 40 or 60. I'm wanting to know, all right, when I get to 300 sheep, how am I going to handle that? And yeah. I want to make my, my pastures, my lots, my, my lanes, my cross fence, all that stuff. I want to be able to handle the volume. I, I don't want to have to do it ever. So I, I want to do it all now. And, and that's what I've done for the last probably two years is to get ready. Um, so that I'll be able to handle the volume, know what I want to do, not when I get 300 ewes go, oh, man, how do I do this? <laughs> where am I going to put this, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. And by the yeah, way, that... I've decided I can't do it all in the pasture. <laughs> so, so my <laughs> next project will be a lambing barn, you know. Um, it, it's too hard to do that many. Um, you know, I, I lamb now and – in sections, you know, I try to do 30 or 40 use at a time versus mm -hmm. all of them at one time because, Oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to catch that many lambs and, and with NSIP with what we're doing, you know, to try to get those, those weights on them and get them assigned to the right mother and, and all that. Uh, if you're having 50 lambs hit the ground in a couple of days that that's tricky if they're out on pasture and you don't have a good spot to catch them. Absolutely. It uh, definitely throws some challenges in there. So tell us a little bit about kind of where you're at now, like your system. Um, what, you know, what, what is your, um, your, your feed system look like your environment where you're at in your region of the country? Um, do you want to stay with that system or do you want to transition a little bit? I mean, you just talked about how you're, on the transition from pasture lambing to maybe a little bit more um, lambing in a little bit of a closer area, but uh, kind of walk us through what, what you're doing now and what you think is successful and, and what, what maybe you want to improve a little bit. So, so I'm in middle Tennessee. I'm between Nashville and Knoxville. Um, not too far from the Kentucky line. So that gives everybody kind of a position of where I'm located. I live mm -hmm. on a river. Um, running we've got about 100 acres in a family farm probably 70 of it i guess is pasture that I, that i have access to uh i probably have about i don't know 35 of it tied up with sheep right now uh mm -hmm. maybe 40 um i started out with you know a 12 acre section for my sheep and i kind of rotated back and forth back and forth and then when i got you know when, when i hit that 75 80 you mark i had to get more pasture so yeah. so i expanded i did a lot of cross fencing with the nrcs and i, mm -hmm. and I added automatic waters to several pastures i think i got 11 lots now um and uh so i'm good on that uh for for the foreseeable future uh one of the issues i <clears throat> excuse me i had within our nrcs was they don't have a lot of sheep data, goat data in their system. So yeah. they made me do my, my pasture lots. Uh, I couldn't do less than five acres. And uh, I wanted to do acre and a half, two acre lots. And, mm -hmm. uh, they wanted 
five acres because that's what their cattle uh, uh, concept is. So uh, that's been probably two, three years ago. Now they've been back to my farm. We've talked and they see, yeah, that's a problem. So, so probably next year or the year after we're going to tackle that, divide all my lots again into, into half again. Uh, yeah. So I can move my animals faster, uh, not mm-hmm. stay on so long because now you turn a hundred sheep out on five acres. I mean, it, <laughs> they're not, uh, that's not really rotating. That's just turn them out and, you know, yep. so, uh, so anyway, th- so that works. And I got a lane, uh, all my pastures, all my lots are connected, uh, by universal lane. And at mm-hmm. the end of my lane is my working facility. So, uh, I can catch pretty much any animal on my place in a matter of maybe 10 minutes, you know, uh, nice. once they get in the lane, I got them, they can't go nowhere, you know? Uh, yeah. and, and none of my animals are pets. So they try to go away from me. <laughs> so as soon as they go out the gate, they just take off running to that, uh, corral, just like, you know, that's their skate, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, so, so that part works really great. Um, the down, the things I got to work on are shade. I don't have any shade in any of my pastures. Uh, don't have any shelter. I, I do have one big tree, uh, that's in a corner of two lots. And, and in the summertime when the humidity gets really hot and, and the temperature's hot and the humidity's really high, then I, I will rotate those through those two lots. You know, I kind of save those for those July, August days when it gets pretty tough, you know, um, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's my, that's my, my other biggest problem I have right now, the last three years has been Eagles, uh, for predators. So, yeah. um, so i I've noticed that they only come around, uh, end of December through about the first of February. So yeah. that's always been my lambing period. So okay. this year I kind of, I lamb some during that period. Um, I probably lost a dozen lambs to, to, to bald eagles. Um, and I only bred a few ewes to get some lambs for the Virginia tech parasite test deal. Uh, Mm -hmm. But all my lambs that are born in middle of March till now, you know, they're fine. I like the Eagles are off having their babies and, and there's plenty of other stuff to eat and it's no big deal. So if I don't go to a, um, to a, a barn lambing barn for winter, I probably have to, I probably have to change my lambing schedule to more of right now, you know, middle of March to April, just to avoid mm-hmm. the Eagles, you know? Um, yeah. Usually there's always been one Eagle this year. There was two. So I don't feel like they're going away. Uh, <laughs> they like, they're just telling their friends where they, they like where they lamb as much as I do. So, uh, yeah. so, I, so I'm not stuck on a particular management style or, or I, I'm not stuck on anything. I'm, you know, like I said, I've been to probably a hundred farms and I always see something like, Oh man, I need to do that. Oh man, that won't work for me. So, so I'm always changing or thinking I could change based on anything I see or hear or read. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not stuck on doing the same thing everybody else is doing. So yeah, uh, I'm very flexible. Yeah. And that's the great thing hopefully about this podcast is hopefully we can, uh, get more of that information and just kind of learn more from how people are doing things. And everybody can, like you said, when you go to different farms and stuff, you're always learning things that you can do different and ways you can improve the management system. So hopefully, hopefully here people can, 
can uh, tap into the knowledge of other people and the experience because um, there's certainly a lot you can gain in knowledge and there's definitely a lot that can be gained in a firsthand experience. I don't know about you, but yeah, I'm thinking for now, me, now you got me thinking maybe this podcast was a mistake because now I'll probably change my dang stuff two or three more times. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll yeah. hear somebody say something and go, Oh man, I should have done that. Yeah. So I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. We joked that, that here we've probably done things a couple times every time we, we started something and we, we do it. And then, you know, as you learn more and as you grow more, it's like, sometimes you got to redo things. And, and it, it's almost like in some ways it's nice to grow slowly. In other ways, it's nice to figure out exactly where you want to be and, and plan to get there. Kind of like what you said, what you're doing with your, your shoot system, figuring out how you can develop it to where you can run a couple hundred use and, and still be able to, to manage all that. Um, even though you're not there at this point, cause, uh, definitely that the there's growing pains when you try to expand fast. So, well, I mean, in our current climate, you know, uh, with this, uh, virus, you know, the mm-hmm. land market is kind of, it's kind of taking it on the chin right now. And, yeah. uh, you know, me and some guys were talking earlier, you know, this, this might be a great time to buy a group of lambs. you know, I mean, it's not, this is not going to be here forever. Uh, mm-hmm. so the way my system is set up, I mean, I could easily add, you know, a hundred or 200 lambs and it not phase me one bit. I'm already set up. I'm set up for the volume. So I did that, you know, over the last two or three years, uh, mm-hmm. for my growth, but you know, with a, with a market like it is, I might, I might decide to, uh, to jump ahead sooner, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you, you never know, but, but yeah, I, I think, I think you said it right. Have a go and know where you kind of want to be. And then work your way up to that, maybe backwards, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because all the stuff you do uh, material wise, um, you know, barns, buildings, w- waters, I mean, all that stuff that you think long term, that will that will help you all the way from the time you have 20 sheep to 2000. So those, yeah. make those initial investments one time, make them count and take it. You know, I'll give you a great example. Uh, I bought a, uh, I bought a grain bin, uh, probably 20 years ago on eBay and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been sitting on its side at my farm <laughs> all those years. And, and, I, and I bought it for cows. Okay. When I went back when I had cows, but I also yeah. had horses and my nephew was into, into horses big time and still is. But at the time he was riding at my barn and I knew that if I put that dang grain bin up, I'd be feeding a lot of horses, you know, more than I probably needed to or should, you know. So I never put it up until, <laughs> till he moved off. You know, he moved to California or Oklahoma somewhere at the time, and so then I put it up. Yeah. And uh, so, so I've had this grain bin, and now I'm thinking, you know, when I build a lambing barn, you know, my initial investment will be I want to put an auger system in, you know, and I want my mm-hmm. I want it on a on a timer and, and keep the feeders full and all that stuff. And of course my wife, I mean, I'm sure she'll hear this podcast sometime and laugh, but you know, she's like, golly, you know, that's $1,500. I'm like, yeah, but we're getting older, you know? So we don't want to pack 50 pound bags of feed or five gallon buckets, you know, Mm -hmm. the rest of our life. So you already got the bin. So why wire yourself out until we're, you know, of age or we can't and then go, Oh man, we're going to put an auger in, put that sucker (laughs) in right now. (laughs) <laughs> and save your back. 
<laughs> you know, so those are the, that's how I think, you know, I think golly, mm-hmm. you know, why would I want to wait till I'm 80 and go, Oh, we need auger. Cause I'm tired. Let's do it now. You know, let's take okay. advantage of that now. You know, don't wait till you can't enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. so that's kind of how my thought process works. You know, I'm, I think way out there and then try to work my way to that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My dad says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Every and I time. Think, Absolutely. Yep. The, there's just such an importance to setting a goal. And, and I mean, the reality is though, that that goal can change. I mean, like you said, I mean, your goal and, and getting those few sheep was just to have a few lamb chops and, and now you've, you've sold your cattle and you're, you're doing just sheep. But, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's important even just from a purely a business standpoint to set a goal. And even if that goal changes to always kind of plan what your goal is, so you can start working towards that. Cause otherwise you'll just be, uh, raising sheep without, without any idea what you're trying to do. And, I don't know about you, but that just, for me, I don't think that would work too well. So. No, and, and I'm in, I'm in a trucking business for my real job, for my day job. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we, we have meetings all the time about what are we doing next month? You know, what are we doing next year? You know, yeah. let's start planning now for, you know, the trucks we're going to buy or the trailers we're going to buy. I mean, that's, that's stuff we do every day. And, yeah. and, and I think the, the biggest problem I see talking to some producers and it's usually not, it's not the people with lots of sheep. People with lots of sheep have a plan. Uh, mm-hmm. It's usually people with a few sheep, 20 sheep. But they were just like I was when I had five sheep, you know, or six sheep. And then, and then at 20 sheep, you're like, oh man, what am I going to do now? And then at 50 sheep, you're like, oh man, what am I going to do now? You know, so, uh, you know, making a plan, the sooner you have a plan, uh, the better off you are financially. Uh, mentally, you know, you don't stress as much because you're already, you know what you're going to do. You think you know what you're going to do and the mm-hmm. details can be changed. You know, you can, you know, you can change uh, uh, what, what you're going to sow in your pastures. You know, I change my mind all the time, how I'm going to do summer annuals, winter, winter annuals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hay, no hay, uh, rotate, no rotate, grain, what yeah. kind of grain are you going to feed? You're going to creep feed or not? I mean, all those things, you know, just like uh, today, I uh, had a conversation with a friend, you know, the lamb market's going in a tank. So what do you do? Are you pushing your lambs on Crete because you're pushing them to go where? Nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not going to be another great market until the end of the year. So why why push all of your resources on, on input costs to raise your, your lamb weights to a weight? that mm-hmm. is really useless right now, you know? Uh, yeah. So, so you got to be able to change on the fly. Uh, but if you have the foundation of where you want to be, where you want to go, you know, then, then everything's still good. I think anyway, <laughs> that's my story yeah. today. <laughs> yep. It's kind of like herding sheep. If you're wanting to get them in a certain direction, um, you know, you have that, that general idea in mind, but the, the sheep can kind of change which direction they turn periodically, but as long as you keep them pointing in that general direction and adapt accordingly, you'll get there a lot better than if you just uh, start chasing sheep in circles. So absolutely. So, so how did you get in sheep? Have you, have you had animals all of your life? Uh, I think I read somewhere you kind of moved to the country a little bit, maybe. 
Yeah, definitely. So um, I was actually born down in California. My parents grew up on the beach um, down in California. Uh, my, my grandpa actually grew up on a farm back in, in North Dakota and, and his, his dad farmed. Um, so the, I like to say that, you know, the, the farming's in my genes, but, uh, anyways, when I was about four years old, my family moved up here to, to Idaho and, um, got a little place in town. And, um, I've always loved animals since I was little. And when I was about eight to 10 years old, quite a few of our friends, um, lived out in the country and had animals and, um, and I, I just, I loved it. And, and I thought, you know, that's, uh, I want to be a farmer when I grow up. And, uh, anyways, um, when I was about, um, 10 years old, uh, our, our family was really close friends with another family. Um, and their, their son raised cattle and their daughter raised sheep. And so, um, our parents wanted us to have the opportunity to be able to, to try raising livestock. So we moved out to a little place out in the country, a little acre and a half. And, um, and for some of our listeners that may not be the country, but for me, that, that was the country and, uh, still is today, um, in some ways and, uh, started off with just a few sheep. Um, my, obviously my, my sister wanted to do sheep cause her friend had sheep and I wanted to do cattle. And, but we started with sheep, um, just because, um, as I like to say, our place was smaller and so were we at the time. And so we, we start off with sheep, um, looked into a few different breeds, uh, of different kinds and looked into some wool sheep, looked into Katahdin's, um, but decided on the Katahdin's. I like to say I came to hair sheep by way of wool because we went out to a shearing demonstration and watched this guy get kicked around by the sheep and thought, you know, hair sheep. It, that they look pretty nice when you don't have to, to shear them. And so, um, since we just had a few, we're going to have a market for wool. And so start off with just, uh, two ewe lambs and two little weathers to butcher that fall. And, uh, it just kind of grew from there. I, I ended up loving the sheep and wanted to stick with the sheep. Um, I've seen a lot of the efficiencies that sheep have compared to cattle and, um, just there's so much, kind of like you mentioned earlier, as far as handling goes, they're a lot easier to handle. And, um, I've, I've just loved them. And so stuck with it and continue to, to grow the flock, um, and, and want to eventually, um, get up to a couple hundred. We'll see, see where that goes. But, uh, right now I lease most of my pasture land. Cause, um, like I said, we're, we're still at that acre and a half place. And so, um, almost all my pasture ground is leased and, um, that's kind of how I got into it and uh, what I'm doing now. Yeah. I, I have a buddy of mine that has, of course, all my buddies have cows. They think I've lost my mind and, <laughs> and, and your acre and a half story. It, mine was kind of similar. I had a quarter acre and, yeah. and I got up to about 20 sheep on that quarter acre. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, and, and you're in the same boat. You can't have enough. Well, you could with four or five sheep on an acre and a half, you know, but, but when you put 20 on a quarter acre, you know, I had to keep out round bells of hay year round, you know, after the first, probably, I don't know, two weeks, there wasn't any grass. Yeah. But at the same time, my quarter acre was not a mud hole. And, mm -hmm. and I told my buddies, my, I had a buddy come over and look at him. He had cows and he's like, golly, man, 
it, you know, I could put one steer in that quarter acre lot or one horse. I could put one of my horses back there. And in 30 mm-hmm. days, it would have been a mud hole forever, you know, yeah. but, but I yep. had those sheep back there for probably about a year, year and a half before I uh, got, you know, when, once I got to my 20, I'm like, Hey, I got to do something different. <laughs> but, yep. but even at 20, I could still walk out through there and not bury up in mud, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't have done that with a cow or a horse to save my life. And you're in the same boat, uh, acre and a half with a cow. I mean, that that's going to last four or five months at most. And yeah. then after that, it's a, it's a mud, it's a, it's a mud hole, you know? Yep. Uh, but not so yeah. with sheep, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our place where you have a, a pretty big incline. Um, and so, and, and, and we're on irrigated pasture here. Uh, we get about 14 inches of rain a year. And so, um, without water, you're, you're growing sagebrush, but, uh, um, so, okay. So I have a you, question about that. So I'm in the yeah. South. Uh, we're in the mm-hmm. rescue belt. Uh, yeah. Good, bad, or ugly. And, <laughs> and you're in a totally different world. You're in Idaho. So, so what is your, uh, what is your pasture like? What is your grazing season? Um, you know, what do y'all use? What, uh, you know, do you fertilize? Do you irrigate? Uh, we, we don't irrigate back east like you guys probably do maybe yeah yeah so we're um central um southern idaho so just about 30 minutes uh west of boise and in that area of the state um, like i said we get very little rainfall and so um, almost all our water comes from irrigation Um, if we're not watering by typically by may um, things are drying up and um, if you don't have water out there in June, you're not going to be growing any more pasture the rest of the year. And so, um, we are doing an irrigation and, and a lot of places, you know, you're getting once a week for a little bit or once every two weeks doing a combination of some flood irrigation and some pressurized. I try to use pressurized when I can, um, definitely get a lot more utilization of the, the water resource, but, um, some sometimes flood irrigation kind of works as the best method. So pretty diverse pasture that we're grazing. I try to have as many species out there as possible doing management intensive grazing. And um, I've had paddocks before that have had 20 different species of, of grasses and legumes and, and even some weeds in them too. Um, and uh, it, it all works out pretty well to, to provide a, a nice balanced, um, meal for the for the sheep haven't we discovered um, with sheep that there is no such thing as a weed yep <laughs> exactly um and so yeah it's it, it's it's funny because there's a lot of plants that most people consider weeds like like chicory out here um grows pretty frequently but the reality is i mean chicory is is a great resource for for feed and and even um for for other uh, purposes for parasites and all that. And so anyways, all that said, we're typically grazing, um, from about the, the middle of April to the first of May, um, until our water shuts off, which is the typically the first or second week of October, um, is, is when our grass is really growing and we've got grazable forage out there. Our grass, it'll kind of start thinking about growing, um, Towards the end of February, mostly kind of middle of March. I mean, right now it's it's April second, and we've got um, 
there's probably four to six inches of grass out there. Um, so nothing that I would consider really grazing a whole lot yet. Um, but then, you know, as long as I have stockpiled winter feed, I try to graze as, as far and as long into winter as possible. So when you say your water's cut off, uh, do y'all have water right? You have to buy water rights or lease water rights? Or ha- I know that's uh, an out west thing that I don't have to deal with. But but I've been <laughs> yeah. out west before, and I, I've heard people talk about water rights and, and that kind yeah. of stuff. So is that something you have to deal with? Yeah, so water rights are a pretty big deal. So um, because, like I said, if you don't have you don't have water, <laughs> water it's pretty tough. That's right. Yeah, and so um, yeah, so the way it works is is you know we have our water right as long as you know you're using it and keeping up on paying, um, you know you're you're going to be fine. But uh, typically. Um, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of other <laughs> legal stuff we could get into, but the, that's the, the basics is you should be, um, whether that always happens or not, maybe a different story, but, um, yeah, so we're paying, um, you know, the, the ditch company, um, the ditch company kind of works with the, the reservoir and, and there's a little bit of some, some legal, uh, hur- hurdles that that all goes through, but, um, you know, we're, we're paying a certain amount per acre or per share of water. And then uh, we, we pump it out of the canal or, or we'll just um, get a certain amount. So, um, I mean, as far as practically speaking, you order a water card and the, the ditch rider comes out and puts in as many inches of water into your ditch that uh, that you asked for. And then once you use up your, your allotted acre feet for that year, then you don't get any more water. But the water's in the, in the canals typically from first or second week of April till around the end of October, we've had years where it's been middle of September. Um, some, some irrigation districts out here have even been middle of August before, which that, that definitely is, is more tricky, but, um, we've gone all the way in to the end of October before I remember irrigating before when it was freezing outside and walking out the next morning and each blade of grass had a little icicle on it from the, the pressurized water getting sprinkled on it and then it freezes in place. It's a, quite the the funny sight for sure but yeah well that keeps your um back to flip being flexible you know uh, if your water's cut off in the middle of august that definitely makes uh, uh makes your uh, ability to uh, change on the fly uh something that you have to keep in the back of your mind yeah, as far definitely. as planning goes i mean you have to have a plan uh you know now for what if you know mm-hmm. uh, something that a lot of us on, on our side doesn't have to, uh, have to worry about, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And one of the interesting challenges that, that the irrigation provides, I mean, it, it's great. It's nice having, um, you know, water, like I said, you need, you need it. <laughs> but, uh, the, the interesting challenges when it comes to parasites, um, you know, it, it becomes a similar environment to the South in some ways down by that soil, that microclimate, our vet, uh, at one point, um, he, he has since moved and, and, uh, took a professorship at Ohio state. And I think now he might be at a different university, but, uh, anyways, he, um, he t- grew up in Mississippi and he told us, you know, the, the soil climate is about the same as the South for the parasites. Um, sure. We get cold in the wintertime, but if you're keeping some standing forage out there and if you get a snow cover, um, those parasites can still make it through the winter for sure. And so, 
you know, when we're, when you're talking about 90 degrees and you're talking about getting water once or twice a week, and you're talking about eight to 12 inches of standing forage out there, it doesn't really dry out. It's just hot and it's humid and, uh, it's kind of a perfect environment for growing parasites. So that's maybe the one downside to irrigation is you never have things dry out. And, uh, those parasites love that for sure. <laughs> well, and, and that's something that you've, um, I've noticed over the last year or two, kind of following your program a little bit, you've put more emphasis on parasites, Yeah, which is kind of odd for your area. Uh, you know, yeah. most people and I, and uh, when you talk about people in the Northwest or not necessarily the far Northwest, but you know, in that Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, you know, nobody thinks parasites. I mean, that's the least, yeah. least of their worries, you know, uh, yeah. but, but you seem to be taking advantage of that. And I, I, I can understand why now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, my, uh, first year, uh, or first couple of years, you know, just didn't have that stocking density to really have a problem with it. But then once I started increasing in stocking density and, um, you know, there would be times it, you know, it comes back to that management flexibility thing. Um, I had sheep out at one place and, um, through a series of circumstances had to wait to move them to another place. And, and, uh, anyways, they, they stayed there a little bit longer. They grazed the grass a little bit shorter. Um, you know, I, I gave them some hay and, and I, I just fed it on the ground cause they're out in the middle of the pasture. And, uh, that's typically how I feed my hay. Um, it saves it, it for, for me, I look at it as I'm buying fertilizer that also works for feed. Um, but anyways, was feeding hay out there and get, they're getting on the ground and, and they're grazing it shorter. And, and I ended up with 60 to 90 day old lambs with a 10 to 13,000 eggs per gram average. Um, which I mean, that's kind of high as you probably, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty high. Um, and so, you know, I ended up actually, you know, losing a couple of lambs like you would expect for that, for that amount. And, um, that kind of really opened my eyes to, you know, this is something that I need to build this resistance into my sheep. Not only is it, you know, kind of cutting to the bottom line when you're doing grass fed, but also, to give you maybe a little bit of a buffer. So when you come into those areas where you have a management issue or you maybe have to, they have a little bit more exposure or whatever, um, genetically they're, they're prepared for that. Right. So, yeah. And I also think you, you made a good point, uh, uh, talking about, you know, first couple of years, blah, blah, blah. I see that same thing. And I, I mentor a lot of new people They'll you know, reach out to me and, and, uh, and I always tell them, look, you get a free pass your first year or two, you know, mm -hmm. the first year or two, you're not going to have any parasite problems. You just luck's going to be with you. You've never had sheep on your place. You know, you're, you're treating them like little, uh, little baby dolls, you know, and, <laughs> and then it's usually about year three that they're like, Oh my gosh, what's this? You know, I, I got this you, she just died, you know, or this lamb that my lambs are dying. I'm like, I told you it'd sneak up on you, you know, yeah. you've not been paying attention or you, you know, you didn't think it was a big deal because you, the first year or two, you kind of get a free pass and then man, mm -hmm. the parasite thing just smacks you in the face. And, yeah. and I know I hear wool people talk, uh, some of the wool breeds that are not as, you know, easy to get along with like a Dorper or a Katahdin or St. Croix, you know, the hair breeds, you know, and, and they don't have that first year or two flexibility like we do. You know, yeah. they're, they're usually hit right up front. You know, you just how you do it and, and to go to the same way. But 
but yeah, with a hair breed, you, you kind of get a year or two free pass, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and then man, it's just like, Whoa, what was that? What happened? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, you, you know, just something you got. And if you know ahead of time, uh, then yeah, you could have bought those genetically, uh, parasite resistant animals mm-hmm. uh, up front, you know, and, and knowing what you got. And, and of course I have people all the time, well, my sheep are parasite resistant. I've never had to warm them. Well, that don't mean they're resistant. You don't check them. Yeah. You know, you're, you're a very good manager, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that genetically, you know, that they are resistant, you know? Yeah. Uh, so totally, totally different off. I guess we got off on a soapbox that we all have to deal <laughs> with, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. It, you know, I, um, I try to tell all my buddies that are, that are new, that are asking me all these questions, you know, get ready, you know, cause mm-hmm. if you're not checking or you're not, you know, it, it, it'll hit you hard, you know? Uh, it happens yeah. to all of us, you know, I mean, yeah, it's amazing how much of this is just a, a learning experience. Um, you just learn so much as you go and, um, as you, you get more experiences, I mean, there's, there's always something else to learn and always some other experience to have. And you usually find it out the hard way, but, uh, <laughs> the nice thing is you'll know the next time it comes around. It is so. a very expensive learning curve. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. That. But incredibly rewarding at the same time when you go out there and you have, you have a new set of lambs or, um, you get to put together your, your fall breeding program and which rams are going to go with which use and get that all planned out. It's, it's definitely fun. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, everything you do is, is grass fed. Uh, that's your, that's your total system. Uh, do you yeah. creep feed lambs? You don't creep feed. I don't. So yeah, so there it's, it's purely forage. Um, they get grass and hay and that's, that's it. And in the summertime, they don't get hay. So, um, kind of the way my system works and, and it's a little bit different than how I started. So when I started, I was doing, was doing grass and then I was also supplementing hay, um, all summer long. And, and then I got to thinking, you know, why do I keep supplementing hay? I mean, I've got all this grass out here. <laughs> I don't need to be feeding hay. And, uh, you know, hay is not the cheapest thing in the world. And if I can be grazing grass, um, that's a whole lot better. And, uh, so anyways, what my system looked like originally was lambing February and out here, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're talking, it's, it's freezing and there's, you know, there's times it's, it's snowing and if you can lamb a little bit later in the year, that's nice. Um, and so I switched to lambing to April and, um, that allows me to, to meet my, my peak animal production along with my, my peak grass growth. And, and I, I basically drew it out on a curve and on a graph and, and I looked at it and the, the two curves almost matched up identically when I looked at our system because of the heat and everything. I mean, we'll hit a hundred, 110 degrees in the summertime. Um, if when I start in April, you know, about three months in is when I'm going to have my lambs weaned. So if I'm talking first of April, um, then I'm, you know, talking weaning lambs first of July. Well, that's when it's the hottest time. That's when the cool season grasses have mostly stopped growing. It's also going to be when my, um, animal needs are, are going down a little bit for my management use. And if I need to supplement some hay, I can do that for my weaned lambs. Like, um, maybe would be a good idea anyways. Um, typically I don't though. They're just going straight out onto grass. 
and then it picks back up as the lambs start picking back up and they use nutrition needs start picking back up. So um, I'll typically lamb them first week of April and then first couple of weeks of April. Um, I'd love to lamb them all the first week of April, but that's just not possible. Um, <laughs> unless you use cedars or something. Um, but, uh, and then I'll just lamb them, give them some, lamb some hay. And then second, third week of April, I put them out on pasture and, and that's what they get. So the lambs, their source of protein is, is milk. And that's, that's their source of protein. <laughs> and so I, I, I push, um, milk a little bit heavier genetically and because I found that's, that's the difference for me between a healthy lamb and a lamb that I have to bottle feed. <laughs> and, uh, I prefer to have as few of the latter and as more of the first as I can. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of the same on hay a little bit. I mean, we've talked about many, you've talked about this, uh, prior to podcasting, but 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 I've not fed hay in three years. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like hay is the most expensive waste of yeah. uh, time, effort, machinery. Uh, I mean, I, I just I don't get it, you know. And, and yeah. I know people love it, and they, they love to cut hay, and they love to make hay. And man, I'm all for those guys. I am not one of them. And uh, so I keep my ewes out on on pasture year round. And hopefully I've got enough just for them to browse. I mean, they don't need tons of fiber and yeah. uh, they just need something. So, so in the wintertime, usually about 1st of February, I'm usually good until then. And, uh, and I start feeding soy hole pellets and, mm-hmm. uh, cause it's, you know, it's, it's got the protein I need to get me through. Uh, it's got the fiber. I mean, it's a, it's a good all around deal. And then I had corn yeah. gluten. Uh, crack corn, uh, usually if my ewes are, are pregnant and they're going to be lambing, you know, March or something, I give them a little energy uh, that they get from the corn and, and that's all they get. They don't get any hay. And, and I've, of course I have these, these advantage three in one feeders mm-hmm. and they self feed. They have to lick the feed so they don't choke. They don't, they can't sit yeah. there and eat until they just die. <laughs> uh, they have yeah. to lick a little bit and then walk off and lick a little bit and walk off. And, uh, so they average about two pounds a day, two and a half pounds, um, based on, you know, what I put in, how many sheep I have out in the field. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's about what they're averaging. And, uh, my sheep come out of winter, you know, in great shape, better than they ever did on hay. My, my input costs are, are lower than hay, my total cost, because they, they waste so much hay, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and your hay, your quality of hay, you can't count on it to be consistent from, from bale to bale or farmer to farmer or year to year. It's yeah. always a hit or miss. So, uh, nothing, nothing worse than having a barn full of mediocre hay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I've, I've went this route. I, I talked to doc Kennedy before he passed away on, on this idea I had, and uh, he thought it was a great idea. Just make sure, you know, make sure I tweaked it just enough to have some energy and some mm-hmm. fiber, you know, and, and make sure I have my minerals out. And, um, and, and I, I tried it one year and I, golly, I didn't, I didn't use any hay. And, uh, cause typically I would, I would put out a bale or two of hay every other day, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and now it works out great with my schedule. I've got enough of these feeders. I got three of them and, and I fill them up and I only have to do it about every, 10 days, 10 or 14 days, you know? 
So that works out great for my schedule because I'm not having to put out a bell of hay every other day or two or three bells of hay out, you know, uh, it keeps my tractor in the barn, keeps me from yeah. making tracks out in my field when it's muddy, snowy, mm-hmm. wet. Uh, so, you know, all around it's less input for me and, and I really like it. Um, I know a few other people that have kind of tried it, you know, they, they won't admit it publicly. Uh, but to me, they, they tell me they like it and don't feel like they'll go back to, Hey, you know, anytime soon. So, uh, we, mm-hmm. I guess we're in an area where, uh, soy hole pellets is still a, an easy commodity to get at a lower price. So, uh, yeah. take advantage of what's in your area, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That, that, that's great. And it, like you said, it's, it's kind of what's available, what's in your area. And I mean, for me, I had to factor in, you know, what my, what my market wants. Um, you know, my market typically prefers, you know, just grass. If I, if I mention the word soy or corn, um, you know, even though it's the holes and it's, um, it's, it's still, you know, uh, the flags go up and, and people get concerned and, and I completely, you know, I understand that. And so, for my market, um, you know, I stick with grass and so the hay works, works great. And so what I've kind of done with, with mine is just fed out on, on pasture, like I said earlier, and, um, looked at some of that wastage as nutrients. Yeah. yeah. Soil, soil amendments or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, sat down and figured out, okay, so how many pounds of nitrogen are per ton of hay? And then, you know, factor in, you know, how many pounds of other nutrients, cause you can get rough estimates. Um, and then I, I looked at, you know, what my fertilizer cost would be. And I'm like, okay, if I'm putting that down, cause a lot of the pastures I was doing were, you know, pastures that hadn't been grazed for a while or had been overgrazed or, um, hadn't been managed, um, you know, for a, a very long time. And so they needed some nutrients. And so I thought, well, I'll use this as an opportunity to, to fertilize, um, while at the same time, put down an organic matter that, uh, that I'm not going to get with, with fertilizer. Um, you know, if I just go out and buy nitrogen, I'm not going to get that organic matter, but if I use hay or like in your system using those feeders, you know, you're putting out soy hole pellets and, and those soy hole pellets are turning into another kind of pellets through the sheep and, and those provide organic matter. The goat, we uh, call them golden pellets. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, you know, those, that's organic matter you can put out in your pasture. And, and in a lot of ways, I mean, that's going to help you trap that nitrogen in the soil and not just, you know, turn it into to grass or have it evaporate if you don't get it into the soil fast enough. So um, I, I, I think if we can use the animals to fertilize, I mean, that for me has been, has been key. Absolutely. So is your, uh, is your, how, how much, um, how much can your, um, uh, your market bear how many animals uh what is your goal for uh i guess how how much lamb can your market stand uh and can you can you meet that goal uh i mean i'm sure they're they're buying it from other sources as well you know walmart or sam's or somebody like that but uh do you have a is the market big enough uh, that you can grow into what you're wanting to do yeah, I think it is. I mean, you look at the the market nationally and and for sure there's there's definitely a, a big market for lamb. And I I think when you look at the areas of growth for the market, 
nationally. You see areas of growth in millennials. Um, you see areas of growth in, in people that, that really, you know, care about their food and, and uh, really into, you know, providing a, a, a good food. And they don't eat the same lot. thing every night. You know, yeah, your, their grandparents exactly. had, had beans, taters and pork chop every night or what, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's what we grew up as. And, and like you said, the millennials don't, I mean, I, and I consider my food habit more millennial, man, I'll try anything mm-hmm. as long as it ain't moving. Yeah. I don't want nothing that's still moving. You know? <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah. Other than that, I'll try it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when I look at those areas in the market, then I also look at the trends in, in that market as well. And, and a lot of them want more of a, you know, a sustainably raised, a, a grass fed, a, um, you know, a, a natural type of product. And so I think generally speaking, that market is there and it's growing. Um, you know, when it comes to specifics, you know, I think there's certainly a, a niche market here. I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of people here in the area that supply. Um, and, and, and we live, you know, relatively close to a lot of other major regions. I mean, you talk about Salt Lake City, you talk about Bozeman, Montana, um, you talk about Spokane, Washington, you talk about Tri-Cities in Washington, you talk about Portland, Oregon, you talk about the Seattle metro area. And, and there's a lot of, you even go down to Nevada. I mean, you have, you have Elko and, and I mean, even, you know, we're, we're not that far from from other places. So are you um, closer to Twin Falls or are you east, west uh, on the southern side of Idaho? Yeah. So we're about uh, two hours west of Twin Falls, just slightly north and and a little bit west. So, um, you know, that's another market that that's certainly there. And, uh, and then there's, there's always Eastern Idaho. And, and so there's, there's a lot of kind of areas that surround us. Sure. They're a little bit of a driving distance, but I think there's, there's definitely room for growth and, and you look at areas like, you know, Spokane, you, you, you don't really have as much of an ability to produce a grass-fed lamb up in that region as easily because they don't have irrigation and they have a shorter growing season. Um, you can do it, but it's, it's, it's tougher and it's not going to be the same kind of product as you have down on the irrigated pasture. And so all that said, um, you know, I think there, there is a, a big market that's there. I know a lot of local, you know, health food stores I've looked into supplying, you know, they just, they don't have suppliers and there's restaurants and stuff. And so, um, you know, the, the market right now that I have, I mean, I don't have a market for 600 <laughs> meat lambs a year, but, um, I think that market definitely, definitely is, uh, it's still there. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, um, it's just, my first, just waiting for a supplier. Oh, my first, um, you know, my first year I had sheep, you know, like I said, I had six, <laughs> And, and I'm at this local restaurant, uh, in Coville mm-hmm. and, and I, I've been eating lamb chops there for years, you know? So, so I order lamb chops, you know, and, and I, now I'm critiquing, you know, before I had lamb, you know, I just, Hey, these are good lamb chops. But now I'm, yeah. now I'm like, <laughs> all right, so let's check this out, you know? And, uh, so I asked the lady, I'm like, Oh, do y'all, uh, do y'all buy local lamb? And she goes, well, no, we don't, you know, we buy, the best. And I'm like, Oh, what is, is it? Oh, that's New Zealand lamb. I'm like, Oh really? Uh, so there's not, she goes, now we probably couldn't find a local source. And I, I'm all cocky. I'm like, Oh, I raised lamb. I'd love, I'd love to provide you guys some local lamb, you know? And, and I said, how much do y'all go through in a week or a month's time? You know? Oh, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get with a chef and, and have him get up with, you, you know? 
so the guy comes out and talks to us for a minute and, and, uh, we talk and he goes, yeah, he says, uh, I go through about, uh, about 15 rack of lamb a week. And I'm like, well, crap, you know, there <laughs> goes, you, you just took, I, I, he took everything I had, you know, uh-huh. in the first week. And, uh, yep. so I knew right away there's a market in my, mm-hmm. in this little town, uh, you know, when I say little 20,000, a little town population, 20,000, this one restaurant, you know, would consume a thousand lambs to provide them with racks of lamb. And, yeah. uh, so then, so then I went into, well, I can't pursue that, you know, with what if he likes Katahdin and lamb? What if he really likes my product <laughs> and I could yeah. only pr- provide him about two weeks worth of lamb he's going to find it from somebody else. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to create a market and then turn around and lose it at the same time. So, yeah. so I kind of backed off uh, and then put all my focus in on growth facilities and how do I get there? You know, cause I knew the market's there and the market's still there. Like you said, it's, if anything, it's getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, we just gotta be ready for it because, uh, you could definitely, um, you could definitely out, out market your ability to provide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I think you can sure. anyway. So, uh, yeah. so, um, Basically, that is a, uh, you know, you, you said you want to get to three or four or five, 600 head. Um, yeah. That, I mean, my, my goal will be three to, to 400 okay. ewes. Um, if I can, if I can get there, like I said, um, you know, trying to find a land to lease. I'm a, I'm a first generation farmer and, um, you know, land is, so, you know, we're in, so Boise is the fastest growing city in the nation and Idaho is the fastest growing state in the nation. Um, and so what that does to real estate costs and Ooh, land costs. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, when you, when you're talking about finding ag ground, um, you know, you're looking at it going, you know, 45 minutes to an hour out of Boise. And so, um, to, to actually find land that's maybe somewhat affordable. I mean, you're talking 10,000 an acre, um, at least. Um, but if, you know, if you're grazing irrigated pasture and you're doing management intensive grazing, I think that's, that's totally doable. Um, and so anyways, just kind of looking at, um, leasing land is, is probably the, the goal. And so I'll probably grow, you know, about as fast as I can, as I can find land to lease. Um, and certainly we'll have to, to find a main operation to do that out of because, uh, our, uh, our acre and a half won't, uh, won't bear 300. Yeah. Well, sure. and, uh, so. you know, that concept, uh, should work in an urban area. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you see a lot of people that want to buy one and two acre, you know, ranchettes or whatever they call them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. or up to five, I get up to five is what I see, you know, yeah. around Nashville, Knoxville, some of the growing areas of middle Tennessee. And, uh, so, but the problem I see is something that you, you can address and how you're doing it is these people don't want a fence, you know, yeah. so they don't have a fence. They don't have water cause they have no intentions of having livestock. They just wanted mm-hmm. the acre because they needed the place for their dog to run. And yeah. uh, after a while they get tired of mowing it after a while it grows up and mm-hmm. boom, Caleb has a solution. So, yeah. so how do you approach that person and how do you, how do you work out a deal to provide fencing water, uh, that kind of stuff? Cause I assume you're, 
uh, everything else is kind of portable um, as far yep. as uh, corrals, shoots, or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but but talk about fencing. How how do, how do how do we go about fixing that problem? Yeah, so fencing has actually probably been one of the easiest, actually, which is is kind of funny um, because you would think it would be the hardest. Um, but the the fencing I've used um, electric netting. I got it from Premier One and um, it, it has been so helpful. I mean, I, I'm using it anyways already for management intensive grazing cause I'm moving them every day. And so instead of putting in permanent fencing, um, what I'm doing is I'm just setting up that netting and, and put the sheep in there and have a solar panel energizer that works really well. It can power, um, up to 600 feet of netting. And so you can fence off a, a decent sized pen with 600 feet of netting. If you run two energizers, I mean, 1200 feet of netting will, will encompass a pretty good area. And so, um, that's kind of been my strategy so far on the fencing side. Water side has been, um, a little bit more challenging. Um, typically I've just been running a hose, um, or hauling buckets of water, um, to put a 55 gallon drum in my, my truck this year, and then we'll, we'll fill that up and, and you know, that would last about a day or two, um, depending on how many sheep I had out there and how, how good the grass is. Cause, um, when you're grazing irrigated pasture, oftentimes that grass has a pretty good amount of moisture. And so until, you know, until June, I mean, a large part of their, their water intake is coming from, from that pasture. And so, um, but anyways, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of what been what, um, the strategy on the fencing and the, you, the water is. Do you feel like a lot of the people um, are are younger generation, more conservation uh, aware type people that that you're dealing with? Um, it's been a, a kind of a mixture. Um, I've had some people that you know wanting to to kind of get it out there, get some place for their families or whatever, and um, other people that maybe wanting to retire and um, you know, to have somebody to manage the property is, is nice and something they enjoy and they enjoy the, getting the lamb in return. And, and that's been a kind of a great way to do it is, you know, I can trade lamb for and lamb and labor management for the use of the pasture itself. And, um, that's been, been an effective way on a lot of, a lot of those kind of smaller acreage. Um, and then, you know, that saves you some expense. Um, you know, you're not having to lease the land, but at the same time you are, you know, that expense comes in the form of lamb. Um, and so it, it kind of works up good both ways because, um, you know, you're not having to, to make that sale to then pay for your expense, but you're, you're still providing that, uh, you're still providing that value to the landowner. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a mixture of, uh, yeah, it keeps you from having to pay cash up front mm-hmm. uh yeah. plus it also if if as long as a landowner loves lamb then they're not mm-hmm. going to uh take the next highest option and, and take your property away from you <laughs> you mm-hmm. know and let somebody put in a llama or something you know uh yeah for a few extra dollars a year you know i hear people talk about losing their leases you know oh, i lost my lease you know extra fifty dollars or hundred you know some some dollar amount when their lease is up you know, yeah. and, uh, but as long as your landlord locks, uh, locks a lamb, you know, that's, uh, he's not going to let you go because that's free, free meal for him that, uh, him or her, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, good, 
good proposition to have. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so any, any advice, uh, you're, you're just out of high school, I think, or just out of college. You just graduated college, right? <laughs> just about. Yep. So, um, kind of both. So just, um, out of high school, a couple of years and finished my college degree this fall. So, um, actually when I graduated high school, I was, uh, actually a senior for my bachelor's. Um, and so anyways, been kind of doing some internships and stuff in the meantime, but, but yeah, as far as advice, I mean, I think kind of like what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, just setting goals is, is so important. I know when we started, like I said, we've, we've done things multiple times. Um, kind of like you alluded to the, the handling system is, is important. Um, you know, uh, two years ago I caught, 40 lambs and hand weighed them and, uh, and took all the fecal leg counts last year. I set up a little bit of a shoot system with my netting and stuff, but not much. And I caught about 50, 60 lambs and hand weighed them, did fecal leg counts this year. I'm going to change that up a little bit. Um, cause I'm expecting probably, Oh, I forget how many lambs I think I'll get this year, probably 70 or, or more. And so, uh, <laughs> trying to hand catch that many lambs is not, is not the easiest thing. Nice thing is I'm young. Um, so I can, I can still mostly do that, but, uh, you can still walk the next day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I tell people come to the farm now that, that came by when we first started, you know, and and we were in the same boat, me and my wife, you know, you got five, six, 10, 20 sheep, you know, you're, you're wrestling every one of them. I mean, you're catching them. You got, we got cattle panels, you know, kind of throw together to make a little makeshift lane. And, and, and we did mm-hmm. have a scale right off the bat. We bought a scale. Uh, yeah. It came with a group. I bought a guy that was getting out of sheep. Um, and, and I bought, I think there was 14 maybe. Uh, back to my initial meeting with Mark Dennis. I mean, the mm-hmm. very fall or maybe that winter, uh, a guy that he'd kind of been mentoring, uh, down in Louisiana, kind of a neighbor of his, uh, had, had to get out for a job and, and move. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, so I kind of looked into, you know, some, some really nice use in a Ram and, and, and I got all of his stuff, you know, he had a tilt table, he had a set of scales. So I just kind of had a package deal, you know, but, yeah. but at the same time I still had, I, I didn't have nothing else. So we used a, a cattle panels to run up through there and we still had to wrestle mm-hmm. these big, 170, 160, 70, 80 pound ewes. And golly, you know, the first, first four or five is not too bad, but by the end, end of the day, you're just, you're whooped. And, uh, and as the lambs got bigger and, you know, and, uh, now it's funny, uh, used to, it'd take us four or five hours, uh, or six hours, take us half a day. And, and it absolutely wore us out to the point where we couldn't walk the next day, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and now, you know, I, I typically do most of it by myself now and, mm-hmm. and I can go through a hundred or 150 animals and, and, you know, four or five, about the same amount of time that it took me to do 20 and, and I'm not sweating usually as long as it ain't hot outside. I'm typically not sweating. I've not, you know, broke down to where I can't walk and, you know, life is good. So mm-hmm. <laughs> plan, yeah. plan as far out as you can. So, yeah, I, it's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I think it's, you know, just one, I mean, 
goals are just really important. But I think the other thing too is that, like we talked about earlier, just not growing too fast. Um, you know, sometimes you can, you can grow so fast that, that you stop enjoying it. And I think that's really the key because I mean, nobody's going to get rich raising sheep if they're, if they're being honest and how they're selling these lambs. I mean, unless you have something super, super unique, um, that's worth a lot, you, you know, you'll, you'll make some money and, you know, hopefully make a profit, but you're not gonna, you're not going to become a billionaire. Um, so you got to enjoy what you're doing. Absolutely. You got to love what you're doing. And if you're not loving what you're doing, then, uh, maybe find something else. Cause, um, you can, you can make just as much money probably doing something else. And so at the end of the day, you got to, you got to love doing the animals. You got to love livestock. You got to love sheep. And, uh, you know, if you grow too fast or, um, you grow too much or, um, all that, you, you maybe lose sight of that. And, and then it, it just becomes a moneymaker. And, and, and you have to have that balance because if you're not making money, it ain't near as fun, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if, um, you know, if you're simply, doing it for money, then it's not going to be fun either. So, um, yeah, I grew up playing sports and, and a lot of times I try to use a sports analogy. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're on, you know, the winning basketball team ha- and the winning football team and a winning baseball team, the coach does not have to beg those people to come to practice. Those yeah. guys are there. I mean, boom, they come early, they're prepared, they're ready. Uh, the team that loses all the time, man, they're late. They're late to practice. Oh, my belly hurts. I don't want to come to practice today. You know, you end up with excuses on why you're not doing it. And, and I, I'd say that's the same way with livestock, horses, sheep, goats, rabbits, you know, you name it. If back to the making money or even if you're breaking even, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but man, you lose, you lose money for so many years in a row, then it's not fun. And you're going, then your management backs off. And you're going to quit doing this. You're going to quit doing that. And next thing you know, <laughs> it's just, it is a bottom hole that you cannot get. You've dug yourself a hole you can't get out of. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I agree. You got to have fun. You got to like it. And, 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 and I, I forgot the guy's name. I'll think of it off air probably, but um, I, I heard a podcast from a guy that was in a, uh, in this lamb uh, 509 class I did a couple years ago. And, mm-hmm. and he, he went to Australia for a year on a intern deal. And, mm-hmm. uh, let me tell you, you know, listen to his, he brought back a lot of stuff he learned into his deal. And, um, but you really, you, you find out real fast if you like sheep or not, if you're thrown out onto a farm, it's got four or 5,000 ewes, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's a, that's definitely uh, a quick way to find out if you like it or not. <laughs> well, so we want to wrap this up. Uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe get a next uh, podcast going here in the next day or two. Yeah. Send us suggestions. We want to know uh, what you like, what you don't like, uh, what, uh, what do you want to hear? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, you know, it, it'll be exciting. We'll have some awesome guests in the future. And I know next week we'll have a, a really special guest. And, and I think if anybody out there, you know, if there's somebody that you're like, man, I would love to hear them tell their story about, about, uh, their sheep or, or 
the portion of the industry that they're involved in. Um, I think, you know, if, if they send us those suggestions at that email address, um, then that would be fantastic. And we'd love to have more people on. We're, we're excited for the, the guests that we do have lined up and always looking at uh, other guests that are going to provide some, some great experience and knowledge. And just like today, I mean, we've had the opportunity to talk a little bit about what we're doing. And I mean, I don't know how long you've been doing it, Robert, but I've been doing it for, Oh, this is, I think you're, you're seven for me. And, uh, to, for the people that have been doing it 25, 30 years, the people that have been doing it all their life. I mean, to get that level of knowledge and experience, um, will just be such an exciting thing. Oh yeah. They uh, forgot uh, more than we'll ever know, you know? And, uh, yeah. So yeah, we, we, uh, we give everybody the rookie, the rookie podcast and, uh, and, and we'll get the experts on and, uh, and really stir things up a little bit. Yeah. So look forward to that. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later. <laughs>